0: I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten, hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. sin and strife. He is the true one. He is the just one. He hath the words of life. I will hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free. come to thee, I will hasten, hasten to him, hasten so glad and free, Jesus.
1: And thank you so much for that song. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one, please. Philippians chapter one. Today, we're beginning a brand new study on the book of Philippians. We're calling this study still joyful, still joyful. As I was preparing for today's message and studying some background material on uh, the book of Philippians, I ran across something that really caught my attention. And I want to share it with you this morning as you're finding your spot there in Philippians chapter one. It said the word happiness, the word happiness evokes visions of unwrapping gifts on Christmas morning, strolling hand in hand with the one you love, being surprised on your birthday, responding with unbridled laughter to a comedian or vacationing in an exotic locale. It said, everyone wants to be happy. We make chasing this elusive ideal a lifelong pursuit, spending money, collecting things and searching for new experiences. But if happiness depends upon our circumstances, what happens when the toys rust? Loved ones die. Health deteriorates. Money is stolen and the party's over. Often happiness flees and despair sets in. But it said in contrast to happiness stands joy. Running deeper and stronger, joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and God's work in our lives. That he will be there no matter what. Happiness depends on Happenings, but joy depends on Christ. John MacArthur said, no matter what difficulty, pain, disappointment, failure, rejection or other challenge one is facing, genuine joy remains because of that eternal well-being established by God's grace and salvation. Thus, Scripture makes it clear that the fullest, most lasting and satisfying joy is derived from a true relationship with God. It is not based on circumstances or chance, but it is the gracious and permanent possession of every child of God. Do you see the difference, beloved, between happiness and joy? Happiness rests on our changing circumstances. And today we're happy, tomorrow we're not. Right now we're happy. At 12 o'clock and the preacher's not done, we're not. (laughs) Happiness goes up and down, but joy rests on Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps you're wondering this morning, preacher, why all this talk of joy? Well, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. If you look at chapter 4, verse 4, here's what you read. Rejoice. In the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now, while we're studying this, I want you to keep this in mind. Paul is writing this book, the book of Philippians, while he is in prison. He's in prison. And he writes this book, the book of Philippians. And the theme of this book is joy. Some of you may have wandered over to the church website this week. And I have a new graphic up. Talking about our current sermon series. A very simple graphic. And it's a picture, a very simple picture of a ball and chain. And it says these words, still joyful. The book of Philippians. I was actually hesitant to put that up because I thought some might misunderstand that. They'd look at that and says, our current sermon series, still joyful, the book of Philippians. There's a ball and chain. I thought they might think we're never going to get out of the book of Philippians. We're bound to it for life. But I put that on there to remind us as we study that Paul is writing this while in prison. The book of Philippians is really a thank you note from Paul to the Philippians. It's a very warm and friendly and personal letter. It's a letter of joy. It's a love note from Paul to the, the church at Philippi. It's not very long, only four chapters. But in those four chapters, you find rich and wonderful truth. It contains some beloved and off-quoted verses of the Bible, and we'll see that as we study through. Before we get really into our message today, I want to do this. I want to lay some foundation work here. I want to give you two very general outlines of the book. So you can kind of keep in your mind, in your heart, where we're going and what the book's about. Two very quick here general outlines. There's so many good ones, it was hard to decide. But let me give you two of them. And let me encourage you to do this as well as we study this book. Try to read through the book of Philippians at least once this next week. Try to read through these four chapters once a week. And let God speak to you. And let God's word encourage you. Let me give you two quick outlines, okay? The first was from Harold Wilmington. Rejoicing, chapter one is rejoicing in Christ's service. Rejoicing in Christ's service, chapter one. Chapter two, rejoicing in Christ's selflessness, his selflessness. Chapter three, rejoicing in Christ's sufferings, his sufferings. And chapter four, rejoicing in Christ's sufficiency. And of course, it's rejoicing in Christ, and chapter one is service. Chapter two is selflessness. Chapter three is sufferings. And chapter four is sufficiency. But one more that I really liked, and that was from Jay Sidlow Baxter. And I think he really puts the focus where it is here. Chapter one, Christ, our life. Christ, our life. Chapter two, Christ, our mind. Christ, our mind. Chapter three, Christ, our goal, our goal. And chapter 4, Christ, our strength. It's all about Christ. It's all about Him. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. He even asked the verses. Chapter 1, Christ, our life. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 2, Christ, our mind. Let this mind be in, in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5. Christ, our goal. Chapter 3, that I may know Him. And the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, chapter 3, verse 10. And then chapter 4, Christ our strength. You know this verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4, 13. Two general outlines. Now, if you were to write a letter to someone this afternoon. By the way, does anybody still take pen and paper and write a letter? We live in a day of text messages and emails and Facebook. Do We have some that still write good when you write a letter. Some are saying, what's a letter? But anyway, (laughs) when you write a letter today, if you were to sit down, you would begin by addressing that letter to the recipient. You'd say, dear Joe, dear Susie. Then you would write your initial greeting. Then you'd write the contents of your letter. And at the very end of that letter, you would put your what? Your signature. You'd put your name. When you go through the New Testament, you read the epistles of Paul. You see, that's not the way that they wrote. Because when you read Paul, as was common at that time, the letter began with three elements. And the first one is this. Who wrote the letter? The second was who it was written to. And the third element was a greeting. In other words, we find here during this time that your signature came first. And in reality, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because when you get a letter, if it's not addressed on the envelope, who it's from, what's the first thing you do? You look for the signature. Who is this from? Well, let's look at these things today. We're going to open this letter and consider part of it. Two verses this morning. Beginning there in verse one, chapter one, verse one, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons grace be unto you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pause and humble ourselves before you to ask your help. Speak through this preacher. May your message go forth in power today. May your Holy Spirit work in a wonderful way, I pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me talk to you for a few minutes about the author of Philippians. We know that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You might remember that verse from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But the Holy Spirit used human authors to pen the words. And as in several other cases in the New Testament, he used the apostle Paul. Look again at verse 1. Paul and Timotheus. Paul and Timothy. Now, when it says Paul and Timothy or Paul and Timotheus, we do not take that to mean that both of them authored it. Because as one said, Timothy is not the co-author of the epistle, but the co-laborer of the apostle. That is, Paul was there. He was present. He was part of this reading. But as you keep reading, notice what happens in verse number three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Paul was the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And some believe, as I'm inclined to join them, that Timothy was there and was probably the one that took down the dictation. He served as the amanuensis. He wrote down the words. And so Paul begins his letter and says, Paul and Timotheus. What a wonderful team Paul and Timothy were. Somebody, one scholar said Paul was an older man while Timothy was still quite young. Thus, youth and age were yoked together in in the service of the best of masters. Old Jowett said it is the union of springtime and autumn, of enthusiasm and experience, of impulse and wisdom, of tender hope and quiet and rich assurance. I want you to notice how Paul describes himself in Timothy here. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. When you and I see that word servant, several things might come to mind. Probably a person who puts themselves in service. Then they go back to their life and then voluntarily put themselves in service again. You might think of a waiter or a waitress. They're there to serve you. They're there voluntarily. They're there as their vocation or to earn some extra money serving you. But at the end of their shift, they'll go back home and they'll do what they do. In their life. Now, the word here, servants of Jesus Christ is from the Greek word doulos or douloid. And it has the meaning of slave. We could read it this way. Paul and Timothy, the slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, and remember a slave. First of all, uh, a slave uh, is owned by someone else. A slave also exists for that owner. He's dependent on that owner and he's accountable to that owner. That person is a slave. We're reminded this morning that a believer is not his or her own. They're bought with a price. The Bible says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Now, what price was paid for the believer? If you trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior, what price was paid? The blood of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross and as he laid down his life and shed his precious blood, took upon himself your sin, was buried and then rose again victorious. We're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are to be and we are as believers, the slaves of Christ. But do not misunderstand The implication here, we think of slavery because of our history, because of what we understand it to be. We think of slavery in a very negative light. But notice the implication here to be a slave of Christ is not negative. It's not a bad situation. And Paul is not saying here he's not implying this in a negative way. In other words, it is a high honor and privilege to be a bond servant, a slave to Jesus Christ. One scholar helps us when used in the New Testament of a believer's relationship to Jesus Christ. Dulos describes, listen, willing, determined and devoted service. It reflects the attitude of an Old Testament slave who renounced the opportunity for freedom and voluntarily submitted himself to his master for life. said, that ever happened? Well, the Old Testament addresses that very thing. You may not have ever caught this as you're reading through. But in Exodus 21, I want you to listen to some words. Exodus 21, 1 through 6. Now, these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, if you buy a slave, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife and she had borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. Pretty straightforward. But listen to verses five and six. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges he shall also bring him to the door unto the doorpost and his master listen his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever voluntary willing service uh, why because of love love for his master In this says it's love for his wife he has one love for his children and I want you to understand something beloved we don't serve Jesus Christ out of constraint We serve Jesus Christ out of love. The idea is not, I have to serve Him. The idea is, I get to serve Him. What a glorious thing to be in the service of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we've lost that. We've lost that. We've become so burned down with responsibilities and all these things that we see all these things upon us. I can't serve and I can't do. Yet we forget. We're not just serving Red Hill Baptist Church. We're not just serving boys and girls and men and women. We are serving them, but ultimately we're serving the king of kings and lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that is a high privilege and honor. The servants, the doulas, the bond servants, the slaves... Of Jesus Christ. Romans 7, six says. But now we delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held. That we should serve in newness of spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. Now Paul in his opening words here. He does not mention his apostleship. Like he does in other letters. You know sometimes Paul the apostle. He doesn't mention that. Why? Well I believe first of all. He knew he didn't have to. Because he realized the Philippians loved him. And they were willingly ready and longing to hear his words of instruction. Notice what he said. He simply says this, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, we're reminded of Paul's humility here, beloved. I want you to understand that Paul did not see himself as a celebrity preacher. He did not see himself. As the ultimate missionary and church planter. Now we look at the Apostle Paul. We think, my word, what? What a servant. What a theologian. What a preacher. What a church planter. What a missionary. And he was. But Paul didn't say, hey, I'm somebody. He didn't remind them of how great he was. He knew that the greatest position that he held was being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, the greatest position we can hold is being a doulos a servant, a bond servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a son and daughter of God. A great transformation took place in Saul When he met the Lord Jesus Christ. He had not always been the Apostle Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. He despised those who are of the way. He persecuted those who loved the Lord Jesus. And yet the Lord met him. And stopped him in his tracks and he was gloriously saved. Now Paul had it all together religiously speaking. Go to chapter 3. I want you to see what he says about himself. He says in chapter 3 beginning at verse 4 these words. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Then he goes through, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law Blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them. But dung. Why? Paul says that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. Which is of the law But that which is through the faith of Christ The righteousness Which is of God by faith That I may know him Jesus And the power of Jesus' resurrection And the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings Being made conformable unto his death If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead Now here's Paul Religiously speaking He had it all together He was somebody In the religious world he says, I count it all but loss, done, rubbish, trash, that I might know
0: Christ.
1: Because he realized the answer is not in religion. The answer is in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the Apostle Paul. The great Christian statesman. We read the letters that were inspired by the Holy Spirit written with his hand. And yet when Paul describes Himself, he says it this way, Paul and Timothy, the slaves of Jesus Christ, the slave of Jesus Christ. What about you, friend? What about me? I've got way more than I'll ever get in this time, so I'm just going to stop this morning because I think we've had enough. Don't say amen. Let me talk to you for just a moment before we close. Do you have joy? How is your joy today? I was thinking about last night, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but I was thinking about it last night. We know the difference between happiness and joy. But how is your joy, Christian? Christian. So why do you ask, preacher? Well, I think about the Old Testament. I think about a man named David. You ever heard of him? Yeah. David sinned a sin. And David sought to cover his sin. But he was miserable as he went through his sin. Just as every child of God knows the Lord, you, you sin and that conviction comes. The Lord deals with your heart. And if he never does, you better check your heart. But he sought to cover his sin. And the prophet came in and told him a story. A story of injustice and a story that just stirred up David. And he was pronouncing judgment upon this person who had done this wrong. And the prophet points his bony finger at David. And he says to him, thou art the man. And in Psalm 51, you have David crying out to the Lord, a great psalm of confession and repentance. But the verse that popped in my mind last night is the twelfth verse, where it says these words in that verse. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David was not enjoying his joy. Maybe that's you today. You say, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. I know the joy that comes in serving Jesus. But I'll be honest. I'm not enjoying my joy right now. Maybe there's a sin. Maybe there's just a coldness. Maybe there's a. Just pushing aside the things of God. I wonder this morning, has God touched your heart? Can you really say right now, the joy of the Lord is my strength and I'm enjoying my joy? If not, friend, why don't you come today to an old-fashioned altar and kneel and say, Lord, forgive me and restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And if you never met the Lord Jesus... He's waiting for you. He says, "I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you a home in heaven. I'll give you airship. I'll give you all these things if you'll place your faith in me, repent of your sin, and come and trust me as your Savior." If that's you, friend, I invite you to come as well in just a moment. Let's pray, Father. I pray right now for your will and your way to be accomplished. I pray if someone's lost that I'll step out right now. We have this invitation and come and talk with someone and meet you at Calvary. The foot of the cross and find forgiveness of sin. Father, I pray for a believer today who's not enjoying their joy. Distracted, maybe sin or just a coldness or just a indifference or apathy. May they come today and get those things right, I pray in the Savior's name. Amen.